not this Saturday, but be the next the following Saturday. Just finishing up a few things. Church is looking good, isn't it? Amen. Yes. Praise the Lord. And we want it to look good because we're interested in people. We want people to come in. Amen. It's all about souls and lost folks and people that need Jesus. Amen. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And in Acts chapter number 4, verse number 13, this is as Peter and John were giving their uh, response uh, concerning who, who was it that healed this man, this lame man by the gate beautiful. And Peter and John indicated that it was faith in the name of Jesus Christ that had done it. Verse 12, neither is there salvation any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. When they saw their boldness in the word, perceived that they didn't have a great education, they took knowledge of them, that these guys have been with Jesus. Apologetics is uh, a study of uh, giving uh, an answer to any question that people have concerning the Word of the Lord. And so scientists and archaeologists and theologians have offered up many questions as to the validity of the relevance of Scripture. And uh, what I'm going to do today is apologetics of a sort. But it's not apologetics concerning the Word of the Lord. It's apologetics concerning my own conduct and actions. And my sermon title is, Why I Can't Be Normal. Why I Can't Be Normal. And some of you are thinking, well, now we're going to get an answer here. Uh, but also, I could take the eye out and put you and why you can't be normal. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for, for your spirit, the touch of the Holy Ghost. We thank you, Lord, for this beautiful day. We thank you for the saints of God. We thank you for air conditioning. God, you've been good to us. Hallelujah. Lord, we praise you and thank you, Jesus. Pray that you'd move in this place. We'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Lift up your hands and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. 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 Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. We're going to mention more about it tonight, but um, unfortunately, this is the last weekend service that Sister Christian Miller is uh, going to be with us. Many of you already know that she's going to be heading back to uh, her homeland in Tennessee, but we're so glad that she's been with us, and uh, we'll say more about that tonight. Let's give her a hand. Amen. Now, I uh, 
I always find it interesting to go back and look at old high school yearbooks and uh, to see the style. Does anybody else like to get out your dad's yearbook and or your uncle's high school yearbook and where everybody has like the long hair, like the Beatles and, and big fat ties and polyester suits and 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 then or, or then even I can go back and look at my own high school yearbooks where all the ladies had the girls had really big hair, and some of the guys even had big hair. And uh, there was the um, the popular hairdo which was called the mullet, which was business in the front and party in the back. And uh, we used to all the guys used to take their blue jeans and wear them pretty tight and then fold them over and roll them up on the bottom. We call them pegging our pants. And uh, uh, as you look at it now, it looks ridiculous, doesn't it? It looks crazy. Uh, but uh, it's one thing I noticed is that when you look through a yearbook, it's like the styles are pretty uniform. You know, this is 80s, so everybody looks 80s. This is 70s, and everybody looks 70s. This is 50s, and so everybody's uh, got well-trimmed hair and wearing a skinny necktie, and they look like they're 40 in high school already. And... Uh, but uh, so as I look through these, I've always wondered this question. Who determines what normal is? Who's the one that defines the expectations for this is normal? Because obviously there's a tremendous amount of pressure because you don't look across the page and see just a variety of styles. You don't see this person looking like the 80s and this person dressed in 1920s Victorian style and this person uh, dressed in 80s rocker hard rock, sympathizer, beat type style. Uh, it's just pretty uniform when you look through a book. And so obviously somewhere somebody has got the authority and the power to determine what normal is. And you've got to stay within the expected parameters in style. And, uh, and what, what I, I've come to talk to you today about is about not being normal. It's about sticking out. It's about not fitting in. It's about being unique uh, in this world that we live in. And uh, as I've indicated to you, all of us have experienced what's called peer pressure, which is the pressure to fit in, the pressure to look right and uh, say the right things and be in the right group. And uh, nobody really likes to stand out and be considered weird or a freak or abnormal or uh, 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 even unique uh, has a little bit of a negative connotation because uh, nobody wants to be abnormal nobody wants to be out of the loop nobody wants to show up at a at a uh, casual party wearing a tuxedo nobody wants to show up at a at a very dressy affair wearing t-shirt and blue jeans because you want to be normal and fit in and uh, 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 just kind of blend in with the expectations. And there's almost, a, not almost, but there is a pressure within society and within certain groups and frameworks to fit in to the expectation that's there. Uh, fit in. Even when you get into the church, uh, you will find that there is somewhat of a normalizing that takes place. And uh, and uh, people, their 
uh, approach to God, it begins to be adjusted based on the surroundings. And you don't want to be too extreme and you don't want to be too laid back. You want to be normal. You want to fit in. You don't want to be that sore thumb. You don't want to be that wild stallion that's out there bucking around and somebody says, rein them in. You want to fit in to the norm. Amen. But I, I want to tell you that I can't be normal. I've got this little problem, and I can't be average. I can't just fit in. I can't just blend in. I can't just do what everybody expects me to do. Amen? And in this world that we're living in, I believe that I ought to stick out a little bit. I ought to be a little bit different. Come on. My actions and my attitude and everything about my life ought to be a little bit different. Amen? And unfortunately, even in church sometimes, I just don't want to fit in. I don't want to be like everybody else. I don't want to just kind of sit back and watch the show. But I have got to stand up and declare my commitment to the Lord. I've got to let my worship be an expression based on how good He's been to me, how good I'm going to praise Him. Amen? How much He's blessed me is how much I'm going to bless His name. Amen? And I just can't afford. I know if if, if there were uh, there were a lot of churches in this area, if I went into... That church this morning, and I worship the Lord like I've worshiped the Lord this morning, I would get a lot of glances. And I might even have an usher come by and nudge me and ask me to tone it down a little bit. How many are glad that's not going to happen here? Amen. Why does that happen? Because even in the parameter of the church, there is a attempt to normalize and kind of tame and bring into into the parameters of expected behavior and conduct uh, so that uh, uh, so <clears throat> so that everyone is normalized in their approach to God and don't get too passionate don't get too extreme don't get too out there everybody's going to look at you and think that you're weird amen and unfortunately, even in Pentecostal churches sometimes, uh, there is this normalizing effect uh, that is a pressure not to be too passionate uh, and a pressure to be cool. And you may go in some places where it's cool to be cool, and it's cool to be laid back, and it's cool to be carnal, and it's cool just to kind of serve God just kind of half-heartedly, just sort of walking on the line between being in church and out of church, and walking on that line of being uh, saved and being unsaved, and being on fire for God somewhere way over there that only a few wackos get to. And so there's that normalizing effect even in Pentecostal churches. But I want to tell you just for a few minutes this morning that I can't be normal, and you shouldn't be normal either. First reason why I can't be normal is I'm not from here. Anybody ever seen a, a somebody who is absolutely unaware of the culture and the approach of life where they are because they're from a different place? My brother and I the other day were in a store, and um, there was a young lady in there, and she was looking at some stuff, and I think she kind of got to looking at my brother too, and... Uh, she began to ask him, how much is this? How much is this? And he could tell immediately she had a strong accent. She was not from the United States. She was visiting. And uh, so then we went up to the cash register, and they had where everybody stands in one line, and then they call next one to the various cash registers. And apparently they didn't do that where she came from, and she didn't know what to do. So she just walks right up there to the cash register and hands them her stuff. And uh, so they had to tell her to go back to the back of the line. Well, it was understandable because she's not from here. 
so so she she doesn't do everything like everyone else uh because uh, she's not from here. And when you don't understand the culture and when you're not familiar with everything around you and you're uh, from a different culture, you're going to do things differently. And uh, I understand I'm not talking about not being from California because I'm California now. But I'm not from the United States of America. I'm not from this world. I'm citizens of a different land. Amen? I'm a citizen of a different place. <clears throat> And when you look through the Old Testament, with the exception of Zion, which is Jerusalem in Israel, God's people typically were wanderers. They were sojourners. They were travelers. They were always on the move. They said, I'm not here. I'm not going to worship your God. I'm not going to do your deal because I'm not from here. Amen. I'm not. This is not my land. And Abraham was the first one. God said, get out of there. You think that's your home, but you're not really from there. Because you have the righteousness which is of faith. And I'm calling you out of that what once was your homeland. And you've got a new home. You're never going to get there in your lifetime. Abraham never got there as far as uh, experiencing the fullness of Israel. He did walk on the ground that would be his. Uh, but uh, God made him a promise and he became a sojourner. And I believe that God's people have a, uh, an understanding in their mind and in their spirit that says, I'm not really from here. So I really shouldn't fit in in this world. I'm not of this world. My philosophy doesn't come from this world. My view of the world doesn't come from this world. I'm from a different perspective. I'm from a different nation. I'm from a nation of those that are a peculiar people, as the Bible says, a royal priesthood, a chosen people, that we would show forth the praises of Him who's called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. I'm not from here. And while we as a church need to do everything we can to gospelize the world with relevance, at the same time we must understand that we don't try to be like them because we're not from here. We'll do everything that we can to reach them, but at the same time I'm never going to fit in. I don't want to. I'm not from here. Don't plan on staying here. I'm heading somewhere else. I'm just a, just a sojourner. I'm just traveling through. The old song says it best, and this is the way the old-timers felt. I wonder if we still feel the same way. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, where the angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Amen? I don't want to get too comfortable. I don't want to get too familiar. I don't want to get too normalized to this world. I want to stick out just a little bit because I'm not from here. I'm not going to stay here. I'm going somewhere else. I'm only here for a while. i got a job to do. God's put it in my spirit. To Hallelujah. I can't be normal. I'm not from here. Notice in the Word of the Lord, the story of Daniel, the three Hebrew boys. The unique thing about their story is that they were from Israel. They were raised in a godly home, and taught God's commandment. But then, at a certain age, they were removed from their homeland and taken to Babylon. And while they were in Babylon, they were tested to see whether they were going to just accept the normalizing effect of their surroundings or whether they were going to do as Paul said and say, I'm not going to be conformed to this world around me. I'm not going to let the world squeeze me into their expectations, but I'm going to be transformed by the power of God. And so Daniel... And uh, the three Hebrew children, the first test that they had was when they brought out the king's meat and they let all of the men that were in captivity 
that were being trained for leadership partake of the king's meat. And uh, Daniel and the three Hebrew children said, no, sir, we don't want to eat the king's meat. Just let us have herbs and water. Veggies and water is all I need. Let me live on veggies, and I think I'll do fine. And, uh, and this is the first example of the vegan diet uh, in, in, uh, in, in uh, modern history. Amen. Actually, the first Adam and Eve were vegans, from what I can understand in Scripture. But, uh, but anyway, so they, they, they did this. And I imagine there was some pressure from others around them, even Hebrews, that said, why can't you just be normal? We're not in Israel anymore. Just chill on all of this resistance to normalization. Just kind of blend in, you know. I mean, don't stick out like a sore thumb. But they're like, nope, we're not going to eat it. And so the guy that was put in charge of them said, I'm afraid that the king will be upset with me. If at the end of this testing period you come forth and you're gaunt and skinny and pasty and white and uh, uh, just right at death's door because you haven't eaten any solid meat. And and, uh, Daniel said, just let us try it. And so because he had determined, I don't want to be normal because I'm not from here, I'm not going to eat the king's meat in defiance to the law of God, which says, number one, I can't eat pork. Number two, I can't eat anything that's been sacrificed to idols, so I'm not going to eat this meat. And so he ate pulse and water. And at the end of the time, the Bible says that Daniel and the three Hebrew boys came out, and they were stronger, of better complexion. They looked better. They felt better. They were healthier than any of the others. Amen? Because they decided, no, I'm not going to be normal. I'm just going to fit in and be squeezed into the mold. Amen? Another point, you know, the three Hebrew boys were uh, out there and, All they had to do was bow down to this image, and everything was going to be cool. That's all they had to do. But the Bible says that they stood up while the music began to play. And there, while everyone around them was bowed on their face before this idol, here are these three boys. You talk about a minority. We're talking about hundreds and even thousands of people bowing down, just like all you can see. Anybody ever seen before those uh, photographs of People at uh, the mosques that are all bowed down and praying literally by the hundreds and thousands. Imagine look something like that, and then there's three people standing up right there, refusing to bow down. And I imagine there was pressure put on them from every side. Hey, come on, guys. Just just be normal. You, I mean, you're, you're not really saying that you're worshiping this God. Just, just be normal. Just kind of blend in with the crowd. And they said, I can't be normal. I'm not from here. I'm not going to stay here. This is not who I am. This is not what I've come to be. Amen. I was trained different than this. I believe different than this. I have a different foundation, a tradition than this. I can't do this. I can't be normal. And uh, then a little bit later, there was a command that came forth because there were men that were jealous of Daniel. Uh, and this was during the next king's reign, King Darius. And the reign was, the, the decree was, you can't pray to anybody but King Darius. And so Daniel had a habit of praying three times every day, opening up his windows and praying. And, and he would open up those windows and pray to the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah. And uh, as uh, uh, this decree came forth, Daniel, just be normal. Come on. You're in a different place. You're in a different land. When in Rome, do as the Romans. Come on, just blend in with the crowd. You don't have to make an obstacle of yourself. You don't have to become so visible. But Daniel got out every day, just like always, opened up the windows and began to pray to the Lord. You know the rest of the story. He was thrown in the lion's den, and God protected him, and everybody knew that the God of Daniel was the real God. But I wonder if everybody would have got that message if Daniel would have tried to be normal. 
I don't think anybody would have got the message if Daniel would have said, okay, if this is what they want, we'll just kind of blend in with the crowd. See, there's a lot of pressure in this world today to even take the church and to cause it to blend in with the world so that we're not really any different. Amen? So that there's no marks of distinction so that we don't stand out in any way from the world. But I'm telling you that I can't be normal. Amen? I can't just blend in with this world. I can't just fit in because I'm not from here. Amen. And the church of the living God keeps that in their mind. This world's not my home. I'm just coming through here. I'm just here temporarily. I haven't come in here to be, uh, uh, uh to be obstinate, to be uh, difficult for difficult sake. But there's some things I can't do because uh, I-, I can't be normal. I'm not from here. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Number two, I can't be normal because I'm on a deadline. And I'm on a deadline. There's a normal way of functioning when there's no deadlines. Everything's just kind of whirring along at a typical pace. But then when you get the word, some of you know what I'm talking about. This is due Friday. This is due Friday. You don't just operate normally. You become a little bit extreme. Do I have anybody that can relate to that? Anybody have the same problem I have, the problem of procrastinating? Anybody ever stayed up all night long to finish a paper in college? You know what it's like to work on a deadline. It's not normal to stay up all night. Why can't you be normal? Go to bed. Everybody else is normal. I can't be normal. I'm on a deadline. The same is true with the church of the living God. The Bible says the message must be preached to all nations, and then the Lord will come. We only have a little bit of time to get the message out. We only have a little bit of time to let this world know that Jesus is the only way. We only have a little bit of time to let this world know that baptism in Jesus' name is the only thing that can wash your sins away. We only have a little bit of time to let this world know that the power of the Holy Spirit can take and deliver them from the hand of the enemy. I only got a little bit of time to let the world know that the blood of Jesus is over is able to cover and wash away any sin and any stain in your life. I don't have a lot of time. I'm on a deadline. I can't function normally. I can't I can't just be routine. I can't just be wrapped up in my job like everybody else. I can't just do my thing like everybody else is doing their thing. I've got a deadline that I'm working on, and it won't allow me just to be normal and average and routine. I, I can't just blend in and do what everybody else is doing because I'm on a deadline. Hallelujah. I've only got a little while to reach my family. I've only got a little while. That's why everybody else says it's abnormal to get up and go to church two and three times a week. It's abnormal to give your finances to the kingdom of God. I'm sorry that you feel that way. I can't be normal. I'm on a deadline. I've only got a few more hours and a few more days to do what Jesus has called me to do. I've got to operate with a sense of urgency and a sense of expectancy. Number one, God has given us a job. The job is get the message out. Get the word out before I come back. Preach to everybody. Share the gospel. Baptize them in Jesus' name. Teach them how to obey me. And let them get out and do the same thing. Let's multiply. Let's spread. Let's get the message out. Hallelujah. Let's do like, uh, uh, let's do like these animals that multiply quickly. Like those animals that divide and then divide and then divide. Like the guppies in the tank. You put two in, next thing you know you got 22. That's what I'm talking about. God says the church only has a little bit of time. It's time to be fruitful. Amen. Spiritually fruitful and multiply and grow because we've only got a little bit of time. We don't have forever. We don't have all day. We got to get going. We can't be normal because we're on a deadline. Since God's given us a job, our mission has to affect our lifestyle. 
With my mission in life, I can't just function normally. I guarantee you there's a lot of things I would have much rather have done in my flesh than spend five hours driving around on yesterday handing out pies, which would have been a lot less with some help, but five hours handing out pies. But you know what? There's got to be something that affects our lifestyle. It's got to affect our conduct. It's got to affect our decisions and our priorities. It's got to get a hold of us. I'm on a deadline. I can't be normal. I'm afraid we just get a little bit too normal. I'm afraid we just get a little fitting in with our little routine of life. We get a little too comfortable with getting up and going to work and going home and doing all the things that we're doing. And we lose that sense of urgency. And we just normalize to lifestyle. But I've come from God to shake you up and say, you can't afford to be normal. You're on a deadline. If you want to reach some people, if you want some stars in your crown, if you want to make a difference in somebody's life, do it now. Hallelujah. Operate as normal. I love the story of the little boy who was taking uh, the uh, seashore was literally littered with hundreds and hundreds of starfish, and the little boy was out there. He was taking a starfish and throwing it out in the water, and someone said, uh, "You know, you're not going to be able to get to all these starfish. There's no way. I mean, you could work for weeks and never get them all in the water." Uh, said, you, you can't really make a difference. And the little boy just picked one up and threw it in there so I'd have made a difference in that one. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. And you may look at this city and say, we can't reach the city. We can't make a difference in the city. But you look at one person and say, if I can reach that one person, I can make a difference in that one life, that one eternal life that was worth so much to Jesus, he was willing to die on a cross for that one person, for that one individual. You know what? I can't function as normal because I've got souls on my mind. I can't function as normal because I've become soul conscious, and I can't stand walking through life, looking at all these people, living their lives, clueless to the fact that Jesus died for them, clueless to the fact that there's judgment coming unless they take the name of Jesus and apply his blood to their life. It's got to get a hold of us. We're on a deadline. We can't function normal. I can't be normal. I'm not from here. I can't be normal. I'm on a deadline. And I can't be normal because I'm in love. Hallelujah. I can't be normal because I'm in love. Oh, praise God. Hmm. How many remember those first twinges of romance? When your heart swelled to twice its normal size. Your eyes got that half-mast dreary, like some of you got right now. That, that half-mast kind of dreary, dreamy look. And, and, and you just walked around and people would talk to you and you, you, you tried to respond, but you almost didn't, couldn't recognize whether they were there, really there or not, or... You were in a dream world on, on cloud nine is what they call it, is when you fall in love. How many remember falling in love? Anybody remember falling in love? I'm the only one in this place. Well, I'm preaching to me then. Because when I fell in love, I wasn't normal. My little average way of doing things changed because I fell in love. I fell head over heels in love. I was crazy about that girl. Amen. And I believe, when I look at the language of Scripture, the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. And we're waiting for the marriage supper of the Lamb. That means we're the bride-to-be. That means we're betrothed. That means we're dating. That means we're engaged. 
That means we're in love with each other. Amen. The church and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. As a church, as a member of the body of Christ, I don't just function out of obligation. Can you imagine how gross it would feel to be engaged to somebody and the whole time you know they're just fulfilling their obligations to you out of obligation and there's no desire there and no spark and no passion and no uh, uh, no love there. I, I just can't imagine trying to follow through with that. I know in some nations they, people are just uh, uh, arranged marriages, and so you're going to marry this one, okay? You're going to marry this one in about six weeks. Now pretend like you like each other. I just can't imagine that because maybe I'm just too Western in my mindset. But I believe, amen, that the church is to be in love with Jesus Christ. And when the church gets in love with Jesus Christ, then the Lord starts pouring out blessings on the church. Amen. When we begin to manifest and express that love to the Lord, he begins to open up the storehouse of heaven upon us. And when you fall in love, you don't act normal anymore. Amen. When you fall in love, you don't act routine anymore. And I'm telling you what I want is a church full of zealots. I want a church people, a church full of people who are passionate about God, not just looking for the easiest pathway and like water following the pathway of least resistance and just letting the world control and determine which way you're going and how you're going to live. I want some people that stand up for Jesus Christ. I want to be one of those people that stands up for the Lord and it shows up in my evangelism. It shows up, hallelujah, in my preaching. It shows up when I sing. It shows up when I worship. It shows up in my prayer. It shows up in my lifestyle. It shows up at the workplace. It shows up everywhere because I'm not normal. There's something different about you. Hallelujah. There's something different about you. Well, it's that I've got Jesus on the inside and He's made a difference on the outside. I'm in love with Him. i got a job to do. I'm not from here. Hallelujah. But I want to take you to heaven with me. Hallelujah. Put your hands together and praise the Lord with me. That's why I believe apostolic Pentecostal worship is so important. And it's got to be sincere. It's got to be heartfelt. And it's got to be passionate. Because what we're doing is we're expressing love to Jesus. If it's just routine, if it's just out of obligation, then how do you think it makes him feel when, when we're like... Maybe the preacher says, let's clap our hands to the Lord. Come on, give the Lord praise. Well, we're talking about being in love here. We're talking about having some passion here and expressing that love to the Lord. I promise you one thing. You can't get too extreme in loving Jesus. You can't go overboard in loving Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. I love him so much. And when I come to praise the Lord, when I come to church, I come to lift him up. I come to worship him and I come to love him. Hallelujah. I come to let him know how much I love him. Hallelujah. 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 Somebody, you know, that, that they look at uh, worship and, and especially Pentecostal worship when we express our love to the Lord. And maybe in their mind they're thinking, what in the world does God want with all that? How does he like that? I mean, that's, I mean it looks weird and it's kind of crazy. And it's a little bit different. And, 
and I can't deny that I feel something when it happens, but it's just a little bit different. And, and um, what does God care about all that? I want to tell you, I don't understand it all, but something about when we give heartfelt praise to the Lord, when we begin to shout praises to Him, when we begin to lift our hands, when it's all for Him, there's something about it. He gets a hold of Him. Hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. I've used this example here before, but when my daughter Cambria draws me a picture, and she says, this is for you, Daddy. I drew this for you. It's really special. Amen? Now, I prob- if I went down to the art store and tried to sell it, this is a special drawing right here. This is very special. You see the contours, all the lines. Look at the, look at the profusion of colors. They're going to look at me and laugh because to them it's not worth anything. It's not a masterpiece. But it means something to me because it came from my baby. Hallelujah. Somebody else looks at our praise and thinks it's worthless. Somebody else looks at our praise and thinks it's a waste. It's a waste of your time and energy and strength to go down there to that church and praise the Lord. There's a lot of better things you could be doing with your time. That's the carnal perspective. You know why? Because they're looking at it with the critical eye. But God's looking at it as a father. Hallelujah. We begin to clap our hands. He says, I like it. When I begin to shout, he says, that's beautiful. That's like running up and jumping in his lap. Amen. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Lord. I want to worship you. Something about it. He likes it. I don't understand why when I clap my hands, it brings him joy. When tears come down my face, when I say, See, there was a lady that came to Jesus. Jesus was in the household of a Pharisee. And she came into the presence of the Lord. And she had an alabaster box of ointment that was very precious and costly. She broke that alabaster box. And then she began to, in the, the, the various expressions of the story, began to wash Jesus' feet. Another example with tears and, and wipe his feet. And uh, those that were looking on, in, in uh, the one book it says that Judas said, this is a waste of money. See, there's better things you could have done with this. See, everybody say carnal. Carnal perspective. Carnal perspective is worship is a waste. Carnal perspective is worship is silly. Carnal perspective is worship is, uh, <clears throat> is inappropriate. And this is what Judas was saying. It's a waste, it's inappropriate, and it's foolish for you to spend money on this ointment and then pour it on Jesus. Hallelujah. But when we come to the house of the Lord, when we begin to truly praise Him, I'm not talking about doing it so everybody can see you get your groove on. I'm talking about when you praise the Lord because you love Him and you're letting that expression of love come out of your heart. What you're doing is you're taking something precious to you. My emotion is precious. I don't waste it on a lot of things. Hallelujah. My passion is precious. I don't waste it on a lot of things, but there's one thing that's worth getting passionate about, and that is God's sacrifice and God's goodness and God's mercy. When I come to church, sorry, I'm not going to be normal. I'm going to be extreme. Sorry, I'm not going to just follow the routine, but I'm going to be passionate in my praise and worship to the Lord. Because Jesus turned to him and said, this is not a way she's prepared for the day of my burial. And the other example... um, the, the, the man said, if you knew what kind of a lady this was that was doing this to you as she washed his feet with her tears and wiped him with her hair. 
I don't know about you, but I don't want anybody to wipe my feet with their hair. And I don't know that this is something that, from the physical perspective, fleshly perspective, that Jesus would even want. But there was something about the expression of the heart, something about her worship, something about her worship that got a hold of Jesus. And then Jesus said, made a point when the Pharisee said, if you knew what kind of woman this was, this evil woman who was crying and wiping and touching, actually touching your feet, if you knew what a disgusting life she had lived, if you knew all the failures she had, if you knew the mistakes and her reputation, you would have told her to stop right now. The whole time Jesus knew exactly who she was. Jesus knew everything about her. Praise God. And Jesus turned to this man and said, I've got to tell you something. Since I've been in here, you haven't offered to wash my feet. You haven't had a servant wash my feet. You haven't offered me anything. But ever since this woman came in here, she hasn't stopped crying and washing my feet and wiping it with her hair and doing everything she can to minister to me. And he said, here's the reason. This is my final point of why I can't be normal. He said, to whom much is forgiven. Hmm. There is much love, but to whom has been forgiven little, there's not much love. And the final point for why I can't be normal, (laughs) some of you can relate to what I'm about to say right here. The reason I can't be normal is because I've been forgiven of too much. I've been forgiven of too much to come into the house of the Lord and act like I did it myself. I've been forgiven of too much to come into the presence of the Lord and look down my nose at somebody who's praising the Lord and thanking God for what he's done. Sometimes I think we need to be reminded of the fact that Jesus has forgiven each of us, that all of us were sinners, that all of us had failed the Lord, that all of us, amen, and some of us worse than others had made terrible mistakes. And I know you've been serving God, you've been living right, and you've been walking the chalk since then, but can you remember a time, hallelujah, when Jesus reached down and took you Hallelujah. Reached down and claimed your life when you were a sinner, when you had a bad reputation. Hallelujah. When everybody said negative things about you, when you had no right to to the presence of the Lord. I'm telling you right now that if you think you can come into the presence of the Lord and just sit there like a bump on the log when God's forgiven you of so much, you've missed it. You've missed it. You've missed it. Because to whom much is forgiven, there is much love. And when I come to the house of the Lord, I can't sit there like an average Joe and just watch everything happen. i got to praise the Lord. I've been forgiven of too much. I've been forgiven of too much. Hallelujah. I wonder if you could stand to your feet and praise the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Come on, it's time to praise Him. Come on, praise Him right now. Jesus is worthy. Hallelujah. Jesus, You are worthy. I'm making a call for passion. I'm making a call for zeal. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Jesus. Come on, that's it. Just let, let it flow from your spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, God. one of my favorite preachers say one time that when I came to the Lord, I first had to be delivered from my sin. God had to deliver me from this old world because the old world had me bound. And I was under the pressure to be normalized into this world. Brother Huntley said, first pressure I experienced was pressure from the world that I had to be delivered from, pressure to conform, and God had to deliver me from the world. He said, but then, as a young Pentecostal Christian, who God had a plan for my life, God had a calling on my life, and after God delivered me from the world, (laughs) then I had to get delivered from the church. And when I heard that, I thought, Brother Huntley, what are you talking about? And he went further to say that sometimes, even in the church, I find myself under pressure to normalize. Don't don't break the mold. Don't get too extreme. Don't get too committed. You'll make us feel bad. You'll make us look bad. Let's just all kind of find this happy medium to operate at. He said, but there was something burning in my spirit. There was something in my heart. Hallelujah. And God said to him, essentially, you can't be normal even in the church. Obviously, you're not going to fit in and be normal in the world. But even in the church, you can't just fit in to the mold. But somewhere there's got to be some passion, something that breaks in you that says, I'm going to do something for God. I'm going to make a difference in my world. I want to be a prayer warrior. (laughs) I want to be a soul winner. I cannot stand just to be... Another pew dweller. I've got to do something for God. Hallelujah. And I'm wondering today if there's anybody that feels what I'm feeling, which is a sense of I've got to get beyond the mold. I've got to get beyond the barriers. I've got to get beyond the routine. I've got to get beyond the expectations. I want to love Jesus with passion. I want to love Him with fire. Hallelujah. I want Jesus to do it again in my life. Hallelujah. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. I can't be normal. I don't know about you, but I can't be normal. I can't be normal with my praise. Hallelujah. I don't want to be normal with my prayer. I don't want to be I don't want to be normal. I don't want to just fit in, but Lord God, let a fire be burning in me. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to sing this song again in just a moment. In the closing of the service, I'm going to encourage you to come forward and just praise the Lord with us right now. We're just going to praise the Lord together. This song says, I came to magnify the Lord. And uh, and then it says at one point at one point it says, Never will a rock cry out in my place. 
Can you imagine what Jesus has done for me? And then sitting back and letting somebody else take my place in praise. I'm going to praise Him with all of my strength. I'm going to praise Him with all my heart. I can't be normal. I can't be normal. I'm not from here. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I can't be normal. I can't be normal. Praise God. Hallelujah. Because of what God has done for me. I love Him too much. I'm in love and He's forgiven me of so much. Praise the Lord. I can't be normal. Hallelujah. Let's praise. We praise the Lord. I want you to come forward. Amen. Amen. Oh, 
pressure that I'm talking about, this pressure to normalize. Just like they always say, well, you're a new convert, you're excited now, you're on fire now, but you'll cool out later. You know what? That's not God's plan. (laughs) Hallelujah. But you've been feeling this pressure. You've been feeling it from the enemy. You've been feeling it from the world. And you may have even felt it from church. You don't have to tell me where it's coming from. But if you have been feeling this pressure to normalize and you want a fresh baptism of zeal, you want a fresh baptism of godly passion, desire for God in your worship, in your prayer, in your lifestyle. You don't want to just fit in. You don't want to just go through the motions. But you're saying, God, give me a fresh baptism of passion. If that's you, if, if you're that way, I want you to come up right to the front. We're going to pray right now. Hallelujah. Because the Holy Ghost is fixing. Now, don't get up here if you don't mean it. Because God's getting ready to get a hold of somebody in this place. The Spirit of the Lord is getting ready to take hold of somebody. Come on, up close. Up close, up close, those of you that are coming. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I know the enemy pushes. The enemy pushes. And there's some of you that uh, feel the pressure right now. You know, you're thinking, is this for real? Or is there going to be a baptism of passion here? Or would I be better off to just head, o- head out to the restaurant right now? Or do I need a fresh baptism? In the name of the Lord, I'm going to lay hands on each person that's come forward. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe in the name of Jesus that God's going to baptize you with a fresh baptism of zeal, passion, and righteousness. Desire for God, prayer, soul consciousness. Amen. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As they begin to play again, I want you, church, begin to pray. Lift your hands up because there's getting ready to something fall in this place right now. Hallelujah.
Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Got to keep the fire burning. Got to keep the fire burning. Amen. I can't miss a chance to praise Him. I can't miss a chance to get the glory of God. Get in the midst of the glory. Or as somebody once said, get under the spout where the glory comes out. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When the Spirit of the Lord starts flowing, God starts moving, I'm in. Amen. I'm in. I want to be right in there, right in the midst. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 How many want to be on fire for God? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord today in responding to the word of the Lord. I encourage you to have a wonderful day in the presence of the Lord. Be here at prayer for six, at 6 for prayer, 630. Uh, worship service tonight, evangelistic service. We'll just anticipate a move of God tonight. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. 5 o'clock there is a praise singer. I practice for all the praise singers. Please be here. God bless you. We love you. Jesus loves you. Lord's coming soon. Got to get stay busy.